listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back again this week on the podcast. It's Ted Shuttlesworth. I'm full of espresso and ready to go today. I wanted to give you something, as you saw in the title. I want to talk about five choices that great leaders make. And the reason I want to talk about that is because in the kingdom of God, Every one of us, even if we're not called to be in the five-fold ministry gift, even if you're not called to be an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher, every believer is called to be a leader. We're called to lead others to Jesus Christ, and we're called to be leaders in any area that God calls us to live. Leaders in our business, our community, with our family, we're supposed to be those that are not following what the world is doing, but those that are leading others. And that's why it's so important to understand how to become a great leader, an effective leader, and what does the Bible have to say about it. And I'm going to give you five things today that I believe are characteristics from Scripture of a great leader, an effective or an impactful leader. I believe every one of you are called to go even higher than you are now. And I believe before this year comes to an end, you can see increased fruitfulness in your life. And of course, that's what we know that God's looking for from everybody. Jesus said it in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine and you're the branches. He said, and if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done. He said, and you'll begin to produce much fruit and it'll bring great glory to my father who's in heaven. So God is looking for fruitful people. He's looking for effective, impactful people. And if you compare that to the parable of the talents that we find in the book of Matthew, you'll know that in that parable, the master gave talents to three of his servants. He gave one five talents, he gave one two talents, and the other he gave one. He went away on a journey, and when he came back, he found that the one who had five doubled it and turned it into ten. The one who had two doubled it and turned it into four. But the one who had one talent buried it in the ground. And when he looked at that, he said, you've not been fruitful. You've not multiplied the talent or the gift that I've given you. And he didn't look at him and say, well, I'm very disappointed in you. Notice how the master regarded the servant who did not produce or who was not fruitful. He said, you wicked servant. He called him wicked. So when God puts gifts and talents in your life, it is a wicked thing to not increase them. It is a wicked thing to not be fruitful, to not multiply, to not increase. God's looking for increase. He's looking for multiplication. He wants you to be impactful. He wants you to do what he's called you to do on this earth. So we're not called to put life on cruise control and coast into our destiny. No, we are called to be very impactful, very effective, and very fruitful. And I believe that these five things I'm going to give you today will help you to become extremely fruitful in the kingdom of God. No matter where you're called, all five of these things will apply to your life, to your calling, and to your purpose. 
So let's jump in. Number one, the first thing that every great leader does, the first choice that every great leader makes is that they choose to develop continually. They choose to develop continually. What do I mean by that? That you need to be a constant learner. You have to be a lifelong student, no matter what, you know, many people think, you know, well, I'm out of high school, I'm out of college. Thank God school's over. No more study. I'm done with all that. No, no. You've got to continue on developing your spirit, developing your mind, developing your body until Jesus returns. And you can see this even in scripture, the apostle Paul, who was probably the most developed spiritually and mentally in the New Testament other than Christ. This is a man who was so educated that the Bible says he could go speak to men who were geniuses and stand in front of them and debate them and baffle their minds. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was considered, uh, even to this day, one of the greatest Jewish teachers in the history of Judaism, Uh, sat right at his feet and learned from him. He was an extremely intelligent man. But look at this. At the end of his life, when he writes his second letter to Timothy, his son in the gospel, and we know that this was Paul's last letter that he wrote uh, while he was in Rome before he was, um, you know, killed for his faith. This is the last letter he wrote. So at the end of his life, he's still developing himself. He's still uh, reading, studying, and look what he writes to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four and verse thirteen. He said, "When you come to me, bring the cloak." which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, and especially the parchments. Bring my books, and especially my parchments. Some commentaries say that the parchments that he's speaking of there is either uh, the Old Testament Hebrew Jewish scriptures or uh, the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul, even at the, in the last days of his life, was continually seeking to study and to develop and to continue to uh, increase his his mind, his intelligence, and his spirit, developing his spirit. We have got to be people that are constantly developing our minds and our spirits. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, that in all you're getting, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get wisdom. So wisdom being the principal thing, wisdom being the thing God wants us to have, supernatural wisdom. Well, how do we get it? We get it by studying the mighty word of God. We get it by studying the mighty word of God. The Bible says, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 130, Lord, the entrance of your word brings light. And it gives understanding to the simple. So the word of God has the ability to bring light to your mind where there was darkness. Paul prayed this prayer for the church in Ephesus. He said, I pray that uh, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. He's talking about that you would receive divine revelation or supernatural wisdom. He said that you would uh, have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that's what every believer needs. We need divine light to flood our souls, to flood our minds and our spirits so that we can gain a supernatural understanding of what God wants us to do. The further that we develop, the more God can use us. The further we develop. See, because the more you get the word and revelation of the word, the more your faith increases. 
Because Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more we develop our spirit with the word and our mind with the word, our faith level increases. And when your faith level increases, it allows you to continue to do more and more for the kingdom of God. And let me just prove that to you from scripture. The Bible says that the disciples had already been anointed to do the same works Jesus had done. In fact, he had blown his breath on them and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I give unto you all power. So he'd already he had already transferred his power to them. But there came a time in Mark chapter 9 when a father and a mother had brought their son to the disciples because he was battling a demon spirit. He was mute and he was deaf. And the disciples attempted to cast that spirit out of that boy. But the Bible says they could not do it. They could not. It's not that they wouldn't. They couldn't. They did not have the ability to do it. And Jesus, uh, finally, the, the parents bring this boy to Jesus and say, look, we brought, we brought this boy to your disciples and they couldn't, they couldn't cast the demon out of him. Now, understand something here. Very interesting. He had already given the disciples all power over demon spirits, over sickness, over disease. And so he said, we brought, he said, we, they said, we brought our, our son to your disciples and, and they could not cast this spirit out. And notice what uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter nine, verse 19. He said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus, without issue, cast the demon out of that boy and he was uh, made whole. I want you to understand this. The disciples, uh, they were, they were confused. They were confused. And he told them, he said, your unbelief, you look at this in the parallel stories in the synoptic gospels. He said, your unbelief has caused you to come to a place where you can't work my miracles. And then he tells them that prayer and fasting will get you to the place where unbelief is gone. And you can operate in the power that I've deposited in you. So just because we've received all power from God doesn't mean we'll operate at the highest level. It takes development of faith, the driving out of unbelief. And as you continue to develop your mind and your spirit, it builds faith in your heart and it opens the door for you to be more effective and more fruitful than you've ever been before. So number one, you've got to continue to choose to develop your spirit there. You should have, let me just say this on a practical note, you should have some sort of a plan in place so that you're reading the Bible every single day, a plan that you can actually know what's, what tomorrow's supposed to be the next day. It's marked out. You could put it on the calendar of your phone. You could use a Bible app with a downloadable reading plan. Um, something as simple as nine chapters of the New Testament every day allows you to read the New Testament every month. Just nine chapters a day. That's that's less time than it takes to watch one episode of a show on Netflix. Nine chapters a day allows you to read the New Testament every month. Whatever you choose to do, have a plan to consume and ingest the mighty word of God on a daily basis. And then there should be books that you're reading. 
written by ministers, written by those who preach and, and teach the word of God. You know, I've heard preachers say stuff like, as, as foolish as this. Well, we need to read less books about the Bible and read more, just read more Bible. Well, that's foolish because that's just like saying we need to listen to less teaching and preaching on the Bible and just read more of the Bible. No, there are people on the earth who God has given revelation of his word, people that spend their entire life studying the word of God spend their entire life praying and fasting for the body of Christ, men and women of God. We need to hear what God has given them in their spirit. And part of the way we do that is not just listen to preaching and teaching, but read what they've written, read the books they've written. So I encourage you, not only uh, should you have something from the word of God that you're reading every day, but there should be some book that you're reading every month. That's not, that's not a hard goal. Find a book written by somebody who has a fruitful ministry and read what they've written, at least a book each month. If you're somebody that's always on the go and you can't seem to find time to sit down and to, and to uh, read, get an audio book, get an audio book and put it on in the car or while you're walking or while you're working in the house, throw some earbuds in and listen to that book as you're working, as you're walking, as you're driving to work, driving home from work. And let your spirit be developed. Let's go. Number two, the second thing great leaders or the second choice great leaders make is that they choose to have vision. You've got to be a leader who has vision. Without vision, the Bible says, people perish. Think about that. Where there is no vision, people perish. You you think about how powerful of a statement that is is that you've got to have vision if you're believing God. Now, let's just, let's flip it around and see what it says. Without vision, people perish, but where there is vision, people flourish. Where there is vision, people flourish. In fact, that's why uh, the word of God records in the Old Testament, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets that they may run that read it. Write the vision, Make it plain upon tablets that they may run that read it. If you don't have uh, any vision, you don't know where you're going. I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, if you don't know where you're going, anywhere you arrive looks like your destination. If you don't know where you're going, anywhere you arrive looks like your destination. You've got to have a vision from God. See, this is why prayer is so important is because God can tell us where he's got us going. He can tell us his plan uh, for our life. You know, in fact, Jeremiah 33 and verse three records, God said, ask me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know about. One translation says, I'll show you or tell you secrets about the future. So prayer opens us up to God's plan for our life. And once you discover his plan for your life, you now have a vision, a clear picture of where you're headed in the kingdom of God. See, one of the reasons that many people get frustrated and many people stop and get weary and well-doing while they're living for the Lord or working for the Lord is because they've never discovered the purpose of God for their life. They don't have a vision for their life. And as a result, they try one thing, then they try another, then they try another, then they try another. Nothing seems to be working for them. It's because they're pursuing man-made plans or their own plans and that they're, they're not pursuing the plan of God. 
But God wrote through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 55, and he said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. He went on to say, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So obviously I don't want my thought. I don't want to act out my thoughts. I don't want to act out my ways. I want to find out what is God's way for my life? What is God's plan? What is his thought for my life? And when I discover that, I want to do that and only that for the rest of my life. Do you know one of the things that I've done since I was young is any time I've met an older man of God that has spent his entire life in the ministry that's been very effective, I always say to him, you know, you may be 60, 70 years old. I'll say, you know, you know you're 60, you're 70. If you could go back <clears throat> and speak to the 30-year-old you, what would you tell if you could only tell one thing to the 30-year-old version of yourself? After all this experience, what would you tell them? And do you know 90-some percent of them give me the same exact answer, and they don't even know each other? They tell me this. I would go back and tell myself, find out what God has called you to do and do only that and do nothing else. Think about that answer. Find out what God has called you to do. Do only that and do nothing else. That's very powerful. Because once you start doing what God has called you to do, think about this, that God always pays for what he orders. Understand that. God, when you're doing what he's called you to do, He's the one that provides the resources for you to do it. I feel like this is why we have so many, even young people go to college that came out of Pentecostal or charismatic churches. They're full of the Holy Ghost, but they go to college and they change their major three and four times. Why? Why are they racking up school, uh, student loan debt and all this, all, all this other stuff that's causing stress? It's because at the outset, they did not have a vision of where God called them to go or a vision of what God's called them to do. And when you don't have that vision, you're constantly searching and trying other things out. Uh, you know, that's why that's why I tell Christian parents, you know, no Christian parent should ever tell their child, when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. That's not scriptural. You've got to be what God called you to be. We don't get to choose what we are. God chooses. If you're his child, he has a plan for your life. And you've got to have that vision of his plan with no when there where there's no vision Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 where there is no vision the people perish flip it around where there is vision people flourish so number 2 great leaders choose to have a vision they discover the vision and the purpose of their life from God number 3 great leaders choose to analyze. They analyze, or I'll say it another way, they count the cost of what they're doing. They don't just flippantly go through life thinking they can do whatever everybody else is doing or they'll do what others do. That's a mistake to try to do something just because you've seen someone else do it. Just to try to accomplish something because you saw somebody else accomplish it. If God didn't call you to do it, then you're working in vain. In fact, Psalm 127, verse 1, the Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor 
in vain that build it. Unless God's in it, there's no point doing it. Unless God called you to do it, you're working. You're just spinning your wheels in the mud. But when God's in it, nothing you do is in vain. Uh, the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, and if you have a Bible, I, want, I wanted you to follow along with me and mark these scriptures in your Bible and study them out for yourself. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking here, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So any great leader will always analyze what they're doing, setting proper goals, setting, you know, being able to track what you're doing for the Lord. If you don't, as my uncle Tiff said, I heard him say when he was preaching once, he said, it's hard to hit a target that you can't see, but it's impossible to hit a target that you don't have. It's hard to hit a target you can't see, but it's impossible to hit a target that you don't have. If you don't have a specific goal, you know, once you've discovered your purpose, what are your goals that you can set set that are obtainable to accomplish that purpose? I am convinced that in the Pentecostal and charismatic arena, that there are so many people who just have this mindset, well, you know, God knows where this church is headed. God knows where my life's headed and he'll, he'll make it all work out in the end. That's not how it works. God expects us to be wise and to set goals and to work hard to see what he's called us to accomplish, to be accomplished in our lives. Okay. So you take something general like this. Well, God expects every believer to be a soul winner. Okay. Well, that's true. So you can't just sit around and pray, God, save Georgia, save West Virginia, save Florida. God, save Maine. God, save New England. God, save America. That's too general of a prayer. Not to mention, God does not teach us uh, through his word to pray that he will save people. In fact, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray regarding this, he said in Matthew chapter 9, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. So our true prayer should not only be uh, God send laborers, but God use me. And then setting goals. What are your soul winning goals? What are your giving goals? You see what I mean? If I have a soul winning goal, you know, let's just say every person, can you imagine this? Can you imagine every person in your church just set a goal to win one person to Jesus a year. I mean, that's a stupid goal. It's ridiculous. Anybody, that's that's not a, a difficult goal. I believe we should set our faith higher. But if everyone did that, our churches in America would double annually, which is not happening. But can you imagine if we just set that specific goal, I'm going to win one person to Jesus this year. If every person did that, then our churches would double annually. Imagine if we said this, I'm going to win one person to Jesus every month. Can you imagine? Our churches would increase in size 12-fold every year. They'd be exploding. Our churches would be exploding to the point where they don't have any room to keep the church in. Can you imagine this? If just one, if, if just every person won one person to Jesus and that was their goal, 
churches would have to go to like seven Sunday morning services by halfway through the year. There would be no, there'd be no room to seat all the people that were being won to Jesus. See, just simple goals being carried out. See, because when you set a very specific goal like that, you can actually track whether or not you're fulfilling your vow to God and you're being effective or fruitful in the kingdom. So we've got to choose. Number three, choose to analyze our our purpose, our lives, our calling. We sit, we think, what could I be doing better? How could I be, how could I be increasing what I'm doing for God? What are your giving goals? How much did you give? Most people don't even know unless they have to do their taxes. How much did you give to the kingdom of God last year? What was your giving amount? My wife and I have set a goal for ourselves that each year that comes, we will never give less than the year before. We will always give more in the kingdom of God. Well, that takes planning because, you know, let's say, for example, that you gave $50,000 to God in a year. Well, you're going to have to, for the next year, sit and break that down. You know, I'm going to, let's say it was 60,000 just to make it easier on, on my, my homeschool math brain. But if you gave $60,000 to God last year, that means you gave average $5,000 a month to God. So that means you're going to have to sit down and start to make a goal for the new year that I'm going to have to find a way to give more than $5,000 each month into the kingdom of God uh, to, to see my increase and to fulfill my vow. So it takes us being able to analyze what we're called to do and the vows we're making to God. And those who will do that are those who will be successful and impactful. Number four, great leaders choose to have joy. Joy is not a a feeling. That's happiness. Joy is a decision. Joy is a result of being in the presence of God. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 11, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you understand that when we get ourselves into the presence of God, joy floods our hearts, our souls, our minds. I caught some flack on on social media recently because I said what I completely believe is scriptural. And that is depression anxiety, you know, chronic depression, people, things that people think are are diagnosable or that that come because of, you know, chemical imbalances. As Christians who own a Bible, we believe that fear and depression or heaviness are spiritual issues that have a spiritual root and that also have a spiritual solution. God spoke in the book of Isaiah chapter 61. He said, I will give them a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So that heaviness is a spirit. It might manifest itself in your body as a chemical imbalance, but it's a spiritual root. It's a spiritual thing. And it has to be dealt with spiritually. And God said the way to deal with a spirit of heaviness is to put on a garment of praise. Why? Because the Bible teaches us in Psalm 22 and verse 3 that God inhabits or dwells in the praises of his people. And if he's there dwelling in your praise, in his presence is fullness of joy. So your praise brings fullness of joy into your atmosphere and it drives out depression and heaviness. Paul wrote to Timothy and said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear is a spirit. Anxiety is a spirit. 
panic attacks. It's all a spiritual root cause. And understand there's a spiritual solution. So we have to have joy and choose to have it. In fact, everything good that we receive from God is received through joy. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible says, With joy will you draw water from the wells of your salvation. With joy will you draw water from the wells of your salvation. So joy is the bucket that allows us to pull benefits out of our salvation covenant. I'm going to say that again. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Joy is the bucket that allows us to draw the benefits out of our salvation covenant. With joy will you draw water from the wells of your salvation. So you've got to have joy. You've got to have joy. Did you know joy is the fuel that allows you to continue strong and with momentum in the kingdom of God and in your purpose? Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The reason the devil wants to steal so many people's joy, it's not because he doesn't want them laughing. It's because he doesn't want a a church of God, a people of God filled with the strength of God. He wants to fight against a weak church. So he tries to steal our joy. But the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. And getting into his presence is key. Every morning you should have a routine where you can get yourself into the presence of God for the day whether it be praying in the spirit, on the way to work, whatever it is, get yourself into the presence of God and that causes you to be greatly impactful throughout your day. And finally, number five, we have to choose as leaders to stay hungry and anointed. We have to stay hungry and anointed. In fact, David said in Psalm 92 and verse 10, I shall be anointed with fresh oil fresh oil. I always tell people, if you're still depending on a touch you got from the Holy Spirit at a youth camp in 1992, then you've waited too long to receive a fresh anointing in your life. A fresh anointing. Do you know the Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 2, 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter, Peter and John begin to be persecuted for the works of Christ that they were doing in that region. So what did they do after their persecution? In Acts chapter four, the Bible says they came back and the believers gathered together again in a house and they began to pray into the night. And when they, after they had finished praying, the house where they were shook and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now these are the same believers that were just filled with the Holy Ghost two chapters before on the day of Pentecost. But this shows us that as we go through life and do what God's called us to do, as we meet resistance, as we meet persecution, as people are being touched by the anointing that's on the inside of us, we've got to receive a fresh anointing constantly. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm a minister and a preacher. I take time out of my year multiple times a year, three, four times to go and sit in a meeting that I'm not preaching and to receive the word and have hands laid upon me and to receive a fresh impartation and a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit. Because I've got to make up my mind, I'm not gonna get stale, I'm not gonna get complacent, I'm gonna stay hungry and I'm gonna stay anointed. I'm going to stay hungry and I'm going to stay anointed. I refuse 
to become somebody who uh, just coasts or puts life on cruise control. I'm making a decision. I don't care how old I get. I have to stay hungry. I've got to stay anointed and I've got to be impactful for the kingdom of God. These five things choose to continue. Number one, choose to continue to develop your spirit and your mind. Number two, choose to have supernatural vision from God in your life. Number three, choose to analyze or count the cost of your life. What is it going to take to be more impactful than last year? Number four, choose to have supernatural joy. And finally, choose to stay hungry and choose to stay anointed. These five things will cause you to be supernaturally effective and impactful in the kingdom of God. In fact, I believe that there's a momentum that comes from making these choices that will cause you to leapfrog past every. It'll be evident understand that it'll be evident how impactful you've been for the kingdom of God. And people will come to see you say, what are you doing to have all these things take place in your life, in your business, in your ministry, in your church? How in the world are you having such success? And you can guide them back to the word of God and show them that when you are a, a hungry leader, when you are somebody who desires to see the hand of God moving in your life, these are the choices you can make to see God move. I want to pray for every person that's listening today and ask God to give you a great hunger to increase. See, because that's the key. If you've got a hunger and a desire to increase, then there's a momentum to begin to do what it takes to go to a higher level for the kingdom of God. Father, in Jesus name, I pray for every man and every woman who's listening to the podcast this week. I pray Lord that you would burn a fire in their spirit a desire to increase and to be more productive in your kingdom than they've ever been before. As your word declares in John chapter 15, that when we produce much fruit, it brings great glory to the father. And that's our desire. Lord is to glorify you in all we do to bring glory and praise and honor to you. So Lord, I pray that you'd anoint every one of us fresh and new today to be greatly impactful and effective for the kingdom of God. Let us bring in more souls this year than we did ever before in our life and in our ministry. In Jesus' name, let us give more to the kingdom. Let us be a blessing on the earth, not a liability, an asset to our generation in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for that. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Listen, before we go today, I want to encourage you, jump online, go to Uh, shop.miracleword.com that's shop.miracleword.com browse through our products there we have books that are available we have messages that are available series that are available and grab something that's going to build your faith and it will bless you I guarantee it I love you until next time don't forget goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life see you next time we would love for you to join us in a live service To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com.